Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, a couple of little changes, but nothing urgent. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Uh, we're going to be joined, of course, uh, by another uh, Coach's Corner panel. We'll have a great discussion on that tonight. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my uh, two special guests uh, from NeuroPeak Pros, uh, is the company organization they represent, uh, the VP of Performance uh, Programs, uh, Nick uh, Bolais and also the Director of Golf Performance, uh, Andy Matthews, will be joining me a little bit later on in the show. But uh, we're going to have a great show tonight. I want to thank you for joining me live here uh, on the program. We're live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, obviously the best way to find us is to go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, and you'll find us right there front and center during the live broadcast. But for some reason, if you can't join us, uh, you can go to that link and just scroll down to the on-demand section, and all of the shows, um, even though they are broadcast live, are also auto-recorded, so you can go and listen to them a little bit later on uh, when it's convenient for you uh, in the on-demand section. But thank you for joining us. Uh, for those of you who made it live tonight, uh, always excited to have uh, uh, some live uh, listeners. Uh, always makes it a little bit more fun and interesting to know that you're uh, tuning in uh, during the, the actual main broadcast. All right, I'm going to introduce uh, tonight's Coach's Corner panel. As I mentioned, there was a little bit of a twist um, we actually had scheduled two uh, to join me tonight, uh, John Decker and Jamie Leno-Zimron. Uh, regrettably, Jenny, uh, sorry, Jamie had to uh, back out uh, last minute. She has uh, uh, some other uh, things going on over the next few days and needed to prepare for that. So um, uh, unfortunately, she won't be able to, uh, to join us, but uh, always happy to have my good buddy, John Decker. So let me tell you a little bit about him and then I'll bring him on and we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, John Decker is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also a Senior Editor and Top 25 Instructor at uh, Golf Tips Magazine. He was named the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, and he also is the author of Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes a Bible study, and he is a public speaker as well, so you can reach out to him, and we'll tell you how you can do that a little bit later on the broadcast. Um, if you want to have him come and speak, uh, whether it be at your uh, church or other facility, he's always happy to do that. So without further ado, let me bring on uh, tonight's panelist, uh, John Decker. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ted. All right. Always uh, always happy to have you on, John. You and I uh, have gotten to know each other pretty well over the last uh, several years, and uh, uh, happy to have you part of the Golf Tips family as well. And I know you've got lots of... Uh, exciting things going on in your neck of the woods and we're we're going to actually have you on a, a show in april 
uh, to talk a little bit more in detail, but I'm going to give you a moment or two um, at the end of the show to talk about those things as well. But let's get into tonight's discussion. And I thought what we would do, John, since it's for you, uh, you just got back from Fort Myers, I know, here recently, and um, you're heading back up to Ohio uh, and getting ready to teach again at Medallion. So I thought what we would do is we would start uh, you off with a, a new season and talk about some of the things that may uh, come across your, your desk, as it were, uh, to get things started. So what I wanted you to do is, is I know that you like to, particularly with new students, you like to assess their game. What are maybe some top three, four, or even five things that you look for um, in a new student when you're assessing them and giving an overall assessment of their game? What are some of the key things that you're looking for? Well, first of all, Ted, thank you for having me on the show. Um, and sorry, Jamie couldn't make it tonight, but uh, I want to thank you again for having me on the show. I lo always love being on the coach's corner. Uh, new students, uh, I always enjoy working with new students because um, it's kind of like a new relationship. It's like meeting someone for the first time. And, and a lot of it is just a lot of, of information gathering. You know, I, I'll ask them, you know, what kind of sports background they have. Um, you know, and, and sometimes they say, I don't – I never played sports. So, and so then I try to find out, you know, what they do for a living because a lot of times you can tell a lot about someone, like if they tell you they're an engineer or an accountant, you kind of know how they're going to be thinking or if they're um, maybe a stay-at-home mom or maybe uh, they're, you know, a kid that's uh, in high school and they play a bunch of different sports. So I, always asking, you know, what they do. So I, I spend a, a, quite a bit of time in the very first, especially on the first lesson, gathering the information. Um, now, if they play golf, I actually have them start hitting some shots, and I always ask them to just kind of warm up with a wedge, just kind of get a feel. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for, you know, tendencies are where, where is this lesson going to go? Am I going to have to start from scratch, or is this someone that's a little more advanced player? But I'm also looking at their flexibility. I'm looking at their strength, their coordination. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm assessing. Uh, and then uh, typically I will video my students and then get more into the nuts and bolts, uh, you know, of the lesson. But it's really um, the, the first lesson um, is, is, can be difficult for, for the average person who's out there maybe going to a new teacher because uh, there's a, a little bit of anxiety, uh, you know, that you're having someone new look at your swing and you're afraid to make changes or maybe you're going from one teacher to another and one teacher told you, certain things to do, and, and they're afraid that I'm going to tell them something completely opposite. So I'm always kind of asking them the questions like, what have you been working on? Have you been taking lessons? Those, that type of information, because the more information I have as an instructor, the, the better opportunity I have to, to uh, first of all, help them as a player, but also make them feel comfortable, because um, that is, it, it can be um, difficult in that first lesson if, if someone doesn't feel comfortable and, and especially the, for the new player and, and, you know, what they're doing. And, and um, you know, I think about myself, and any time I've done something new for the very first time, um, there's a, a feeling of awkwardness. There's a feeling of I'm, I'm not in my comfort zone. I don't know what I'm doing. And so, um, you know, we all know as golfers that if you don't feel comfortable uh, in what you're doing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very difficult to play this game. So, um, those are some of the things that I do, you know, starting out with the lesson. And, and, um, and, and it's something that I feel that um, is something that's it's kind of a relationship that, or it's a lesson that kind of goes based on 
the information that they give me. And the more information they give me, the more uh, help I feel like I can give them. Yeah, and, and excuse me, as you pointed out, you know, it's really about developing that initial relationship, um, you know, finding out whether or not the two of you are going to gel together. I mean, um, you know, it's not uncommon for, uh, and that doesn't, that's not necessarily a negative reflection on the, on the player or the, um, uh, you know, potential player or, uh, or their coach. It's just sometimes personalities don't always match up. And so, you know, the assessment is a way to kind of get to know one another, ask them certain questions, like you said, about what, they're, what they do for a living, gives you an idea of whether they're very analytical, um, whether they're more of a visual type uh, personality and that they need to see things as opposed to just you telling them what to do. So there's a lot of information gathering that goes on. Um, and it also, again, for people that have um, just started out, you're going to take a different approach moving forward. Uh, because they're sort of learning from ground zero. If somebody that's maybe, um, you know, played a little bit before and they're just coming to either tune up or, or improve their game, you're going to start them in a different room. So once you've isolated areas specifically, um, you've had them hit some balls and, and you're getting an idea, they're warming up in that. And once you've sort of worked with them a little bit and you've isolated areas that obviously need improvement, is that at that point when you begin putting together a, a game plan for them as far as to how to move forward from there and how to isolate some of those things and focus on those things. Give us an idea of, of at what point do you begin that game plan and what do you typically, uh, maybe give us an example or two of typically what you do to help them move forward. Well, the first thing that I do, um, the game plan really starts as soon as I, as I, as soon as I start seeing them you know, swing the club. As soon as I see the, the, whether they, now if they're a beginner, obviously, then that's a, then the game plan's already set. But if they're not a beginner and they're someone that's been playing the game, um, the, the first, uh, you know, that's the, when the game plan begins. I always look at the first 15 minutes of a lesson is I like to do the video work early. I don't like to do it. What I typically will do is I'll do the video early in the first 15 minutes and then I get away from video. And then for, 30 to 40 minutes I spend uh, working on whatever it is we're working on, whether it's their club face, whether it's their setup, whether it's their swing path, whatever we're working on. And then at the very end, I bring the video back. I, I don't video every single swing. I think that's a big mistake that a lot of teachers make. I, I made that mistake myself when I first got started as a teacher. I didn't really have the confidence in what I was doing, and so I felt like I needed to video every swing. And I re started realizing when I watched the better teachers that if you do that, uh, your students, that's not, it might benefit the teacher, it doesn't benefit the student because they just get so overwhelmed with information that they, they can't make a golf swing. So I, I'm a big believer in, in less is more, and, and I want them to see their swing. I certainly want to give them, you know, the, the information they want, but I really like to get into, you know, the nuts and bolts of working on the swing. And then my big, my big thing with every student is I give all of my students at least one drill. I make sure that all my students have at least one drill because I look at drills like medicine. So if I go to the doctor, um, I look as, you know, the, the video is kind of like the x-ray. And then me working with their swing is like them explaining to me or diagnosing or whatever it is they're doing to me if I'm at the doctor. But then they, the doctor usually will give you the medicine and say, here's the medicine that you need to take. And so the drill is the medicine. And I believe 
that if you're not practicing with a purpose, you are wasting your money and you're wasting your time if you're taking lessons because if you've got to go to the driving range outside of the lesson, you've got to have something that your instructor gave you to work on. And I think drills are the best way because drills allow you to do something and you don't have to really think. Now, you may have to think a little bit at first, but the great thing about drills is you can just do them over and over and over again, and you're getting quality practice in. And the great thing about it is you're starting to develop things in your golf swing that kind of bleed into your subconscious. And so that when you get on the golf course, you just do it naturally. And that's what I love about the drills. And that's why I put all of my drills on my website. And we'll talk more about that later. But, but I'm a big believer in, you know, giving my students saying, go to the website, watch this drill, that whatever the drill we worked on. And, and then go practice it. And that's how you become a better player. Yeah, and I want to just mention, uh, I agree with you as well about the, the video. I think one of the things um, is twofold. Number one, I think a lot of people, uh, especially early on in the process, are very intimidated to begin with. You know, they're now working with a uh, teacher professional. They're a little bit nervous to begin with. And certainly they understand in this day and age that video is going to be a component of it. But... Um, I think if they're constantly under video, there's uh, uh, an anxiety that builds because they feel like they have to be on their best, um, you know, and they're trying to compensate to make sure that everything looks just perfect um, because they see that, you know, that little red light going on in the background. So I think to, to videotape them early to give you information so that you can observe and look at things uh, as you go through the process and then obviously showing them a little bit later on in, the, in, in that uh, evolution, if you will, of the, of the, uh, the lesson. But I agree with you. I think just constantly videotaping them. And I think it's information overload for you as well because, you know, not every swing is going to be exactly the same and you're going to be seeing different things in each one and now suddenly you're, you're kind of all over the place. So I think it's good to, you know, to certainly um, take video as you go through uh, working with them over, you know, maybe several weeks or whatever, months even. Um, but, again, not constantly videotaping every move that they make. And then I also uh, I agree with, with the drills as well. I think drills are good for a number of reasons. Um, they're a great way for them to get feedback themselves. When they're actually practicing the drills, um, they're going to go, as you mentioned, to, you know, to your website or whatever website they're dealing with and, uh, or whatever uh, area that they're getting the information from. And now they're able to incorporate those drills themselves, and it gives them feedback. It gives them feedback to see whether they're doing the drill uh, correctly, number one, but also they're able to see some instant results, good or bad, based on the drill. So if the drill, if they're not getting it, you know, the first couple of times, um, they're going to see that in the results. But once they get the hang of it, then they're going to start seeing some positive results. So I think those are some great points that you uh, have brought out, and I think it's important. Um, I want to move on to something that you had said earlier um, about especially students that maybe have played a little bit and maybe they've gone somewhere else beforehand, they've worked with other uh, um, coaches perhaps, uh, or maybe they've just gotten some bad advice from their buddies. Um, so if your student has incorporated some bad habits, do you uh, isolate them, meaning the bad habits, and try to correct those areas? Or do you typically just sort of try to start from the beginning and say, okay, let's rebuild everything from scratch and go forward? What, what do you feel is best uh, based on your experience? Well, that's a great, that's a great um, question because the first thing, there, there's two things that I go over in every single lesson. It doesn't matter whether I'm working with a tour player or working with a beginner, and that's setup. 
setup is the one position that I want perfection. I don't want it to be ha- okay. I don't want it to be sort of good. It's got to be perfect. And I want the grip and the ball position, the distance from the ball and the posture. I mean, I could spend a whole lesson just on the setup. And and it's so funny because uh, when I worked with a lot of better players, I spend more time working with the really, really elite players. I spend more time working with them on their setup than I do any other part because they tend to get off a little bit. So a lot of times that's the the one kind of overall theme that I do with every lesson. But I always go to what's broken. You know, what is the – and I think the more – I've been teaching golf now for almost 25 years. Um, the more you do something, the more – the better you get at it. I don't care what field you're in. And so I've gotten mm-hmm. to where I can see, um, you know, someone might say, well, John, I'm coming over the top. And, yes, they are coming over the top. But why are they coming over the top? And I explained to them the reason you're coming over the top is because of your club face is open, and your club face is open because your grip is too weak. So that's an example right. of taking what they've given me. They, they've given me uh, they've given me a correct diagnosis, but unfortunately they haven't gotten to the root of the problem. They're trying to fix the right. the the effect. They're not going to the cause, and I'm going to the cause, and that's where the great teachers, um, you know, are able, and there's a lot of them out there. I mean, there's a lot of great teachers out there. Um, and there's a lot of teachers out there, I think, that um, that I wouldn't I, – I, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but there's a lot of teachers right. out there, I feel like, that just spend way too much time giving spin rates and launch monitor data and, and right. video, and they don't get to the – you know, they, they're, they're not taking into consideration that, Hey, if you fix this guy's grip, all those other numbers are gonna are gonna get a lot better. You know, fix the grip first. So that's an example of of what. And I've gone through that. Like I said, we we all evolve as teachers, and I'm still learning how to teach this game. And I learn every lesson I I give. I I learn something from my students. So, but I, I definitely want to get to that cause because I think that's uh, once I get them set up, getting that cause is the the area that you want to touch touch upon first. Yeah, and I think it's also important to point out the things they're doing well. I mean, you don't want to just hit them with, you know, three or four things that they're not doing correctly that's hampering. I mean, you obviously have to isolate them and you have to point them out, um, you know, whether it be the grip or, you know, ball position or what have you. Um, But you also want to isolate and you want to show them what they're doing correctly so that that gives them a positive feedback as well and say, hey, you know what, maybe the grip isn't too great, but my, um, my posture is really good. Um, or maybe the ball position's good, and if I can just get that grip in the right position, I'm going to start hitting them a lot more solid, and I'm going to start hitting them on target uh, a lot more effectively. So, you know, pointing out not only the things that they're not doing correctly, but also ensuring that you give them some positive feedback, I think, is also equally important. Because, again, it's like it's like a student with anything, whether it's golf or what have you. If it's always negative, 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 and you're focusing on the things I'm doing wrong, and I'm not seeing any sort of positive come out of that, it's very daunting, and especially for um, for people in golf, because golf can be very, very intimidating for a lot of people. Because it's it's tough. I mean, you and I both know it's a hard game uh, to master. Um, and I know masters a bit of a stretch because we never really do fully master the game. But you, excuse me, you know what I'm saying is that if if they're feeling like it's it's overwhelming that they're never uh, doing anything positive in their in the process then they're more apt to not want to continue on. So I think it's important to hit isolate both. Um, I, I want to ask you, too, do you subscribe to the method, if you will, of working from 
uh, back from the green to the tee as opposed to the other way around for your students. I mean, we always hear that, you know, students come in and they want to, you know, work on the tee shot. They want to get that out in the fair, which obviously is important. Uh, but many instructors have found uh, over the years that what they like to do is work from the green back. Is that something that you subscribe to uh, more often than not, or is it important, do you think? What are your thoughts here? I think in an ideal world, that's the, the way to teach. I think the Operation 36, I think what they're doing, you know, is, is, a, is a great format for, for the, exactly what you're talking about. And um, unfortunately, like, for example, I'm in Columbus, Ohio now, just uh, started uh, back teaching after spending time down south. And, and right now, I can't get on a green. I, right now, I'm hitting, we're hitting from the indoors out to the outdoor range. So, you know, you have to get creative. So for my lesson today, I had several, uh, said, you know, lessons this week and my lesson today, I had a couple lessons today and one of them, um, we putted indoors. We putted just on the carpet using the old uh, uh, bounce back machine or whatever that you put into the cup and it shoots the ball back. I don't know what they're called, but um, we did that. And, and uh, for, for the last part of the lesson, to do anything we could do just to get a putter in his hands until we get to where we can actually get out onto the grass. So I do believe that that is the ideal way to learn. That's the way Phil Rogers, uh, who um, was my mentor, he learned under Paul Runyon. He learned on a par three golf course, and, and um, he said that's all they did was work around the greens. And they never even got to anything more than wedges. You know, that's all they worked on when he first got started and uh, putting and chipping and pitching. And, and I think that, that that is an excellent way to start. Now, with that being said, you do in golf have to be able to start from the tee box. I mean, I could take a beginner and give them putting lessons all day long, but then they go on the golf course and they're going to not know how to, you know, tee it up and, and go from there. So that's the, that's the difficult part. Um, but if you have a student who is really dedicated to – Focusing on learning the game first and then going out on the golf course, I think that's the way to go. Um, right. But if you have so, if you have someone that that's hey I'm uh, I'm I want to learn how to play golf because I'm going out with my dad this weekend to play, well then they've got to know some full shots. They can't just learn putting. So uh, and unless that's all they're going to do. So but in an ideal world, absolutely, I think working from the hole back is the way to go. Right. Um, and and you're exactly right. I, I, you know, programs like Operation 36, and obviously there's some others out there, but that one particularly uh, also comes to mind for me. Uh, I think is a great program because again, that's exactly what you're doing. You're working from the green and shorter distances. And you know, if if you're struggling to hit, you know, whether it be 25 yard pitch shots or or 50 yard or or you know even up to 100, uh, if you're struggling with that, then you're certainly more than likely going to struggle. Uh, with the long game as well. So if you can start to learn to master those areas a little bit more uh, and work your way back, uh, I think you're overall going to have a much uh, better result long term. And again, you have to decide, um, you know, if you're, excuse me, somebody that's just kind of coming out once in a while uh, out to the golf course, um, then maybe you might not want to be as as diligent about learning uh, all the intricacies, if you will. But if you're someone that wants to be uh, sort of a lifelong player, whether it be at an amateur level or what have you, um, you know, then you really need to understand all aspects of the game. And certainly the short game is where you're going to score uh, most uh, and save most of your strokes. So that's definitely a good place to start. Um, this sort of goes 
sort of companions uh, the earlier question I talked to you about incorporating some of the bad habits. Should we teach an old dog new tricks or find ways of improving subtly uh, what they have to work with now? So in other words, if we've got somebody coming and they've got some definitely some bad habits, um, obviously we're going to isolate them as we discussed earlier, uh, but maybe they've been playing for 40, 50 years. Should we just kind of leave that alone and maybe just add to uh, what they're doing uh, or should we um, find some subtle ways of helping to improve? Well, I believe that the only position, the only time I try to teach someone to to be like a tour player is at setup. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and their routine, their their pre-shot routine, those are things that where I think everyone can learn from the tour players. Um, and I have I have never taught a lesson where someone hasn't had to improve something in their setup. I just I just mm-hmm. cannot think of a time where I've said, oh, your setup's perfect, but you've got a, a really, you know, they're doing something really egregious in their golf swing, and they have a perfect setup. So typically, the students who have the, the let's say that they're, they've been playing golf for 40 years, and they've taken maybe a handful of lessons, and they're doing a bunch of things wrong in their golf swing. Um, if I can get them to set up the way I want them to set up and then let them swing from there, typically their swing starts uh, starts uh, getting better it, it just automatically without me having to do any other overhaul. Because at that point, I've given them enough to think about just in the setup alone to where I don't want to give them too much in their, in their golf swing itself. If I get someone like who's a better player, who's been playing golf a long time around the greens, where I'm, where I'm able to, where I'm more apt to uh, let the, uh, you know, the old dog, uh, kind of not try to teach them the new tricks <laughs> is is for example if if they're around the greens and they don't like chipping like they're on a tight lie and they don't like using a lofted club and they want to just putt I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. that in fact I see tour right. players at times that'll putt from off the green but <laughs> what I what I tell them this is I always tell them this is is that if you're going to do this that's fine but you better practice this. I better see you over yeah. on the practice green, off the green, putting from off the green, because I've never seen that. In all my years, I've yeah. never gone to a golf course and seen someone off the putting green, putting onto the green. Right. They only wait right. till they get on the golf course, and they never practice it. So I was like, if that's the way you're going to do it, at least practice it. So that's, I'm very, right. I'm, that, to me, that's a very <laughs> important point. And there's nothing wrong with the old Texas wedge has bailed me out. Uh, a few times in my career, um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong when you get on a really tight fairway and you're on a down slope and you've got, um, you know, tight lie in front of you, nothing's in front of you, and you've got very little, maybe a downhill green that's going away from you. Those are situations where it doesn't make any sense to try to put the ball up in the air because you're going to hit a low shot anyway and it's not going to stop. So you might as well keep it on the ground. And in those situations, absolutely putting, whether it's putting with a putter or putting with a hybrid. Um, I remember when I was at the PGA Championship with, with Bob Sowards, and, and we were he was struggling with – we were at Kiowa, and he um, – during the practice round, we were out there, and he was um, picking areas around because they were really tight lies around the green. And mm-hmm. he, and, um, he said, I, I struggle with this, you know, um, putting mm-hmm. from this surface. And we practiced it. We practiced with a hybrid. He found that the hybrid was the easiest. He, he had trouble with the putter getting it, you know, getting the ball rolling 
like like uh, you know that he wanted. So he we actually said, well, let's do the hybrid. And he had his feet too close together, and I widened his stance a little bit. I said, no, you got to you're trying to chip too much with it. You got to treat it more like a putter and kind of sweep it. And um, and so he used that sh- shot a couple of times during the tournament. So that's an example of a of a tour player uh, knowing that this shot gives them trouble. And then we worked on it. And so you got to work on it before you go out on the golf course. But putting from off the off the green is can be a very difficult shot if you're not used to doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of variance. Uh exactly in the, in the texture of grass and depending on where what region you're playing in too so you definitely uh whatever you're doing you've got to practice it and that and you know a lot of people are very comfortable a lot, especially a lot of senior golfers that have been playing like you said for 30 40 years are very comfortable and you know to try i think this is one of the problems too is you know if you certainly as you suggest earlier you know looking at their setup and that and maybe trying to improve some things but the other problem is that you have to be careful of is that, you know, obviously as we get older, our bodies change and our postures change. And to try and, you know, set somebody up at, you know, at 75 years old, like, like you know, Adam Scott, uh, it's just not going to happen. Their body is not going to allow them to move uh, and make the movements that some of these younger tour players have. So, you know, they, they compensate. Maybe their hips aren't as good as they used to be, so they can't get that full turn anymore. So sometimes you have to take with what they've got and make some subtle improvements, and that's really what I was getting at. And as you said, sometimes it might be something, uh, instead of trying to you know, pitch off a tight lie, maybe taking that hybrid or some other club. I mean, I, what I was thinking about when you were talking about that is I remember even many times earlier on uh, when Freddie Couples was playing on the regular tour, he used to actually take his three-wood, uh, and he would actually putt uh, using his three-wood, whether it be in the rough or sometimes even on a tight lie, um, if he had a long putt, instead of using his putter, because he found it gave him a better stroke. So there's a lot of different things that we can do with some of our uh, 50-year or older golfers um, without having to reinvent the wheel. Um, another area, John, is that many people, particularly our high handicappers, uh, cappers, uh, many struggle hitting their approach shots. Um, whether even if it's a wedge, um, they're just just not sure whether it's they're not understanding the distance. So there's a lot of uh, variety. So what are some common faults, particularly with the wedge? You know, we see a lot of guys trying to hit their approach shot with their wedge. What are some common faults um, with what you see with a lot of students when they're hitting their wedge shots? What is it they're doing wrong? Well, there's, that's a great question, Ted, because in fact, this question, I just answered this question in, in the Golf Tips magazine because you had, we had uh, the, mm-hmm. some of the readers had sent in questions, and it was a, the first question. That was exactly my approach shots. I struggle with this. And, and so this, there's a couple things that, that I uh, will tell you about approach shots where I see students, the, the common mistakes. Number one is ball position. Most students tend to play the ball too far back in their stance, which is going to cause them to come in. Either going to keep their weight back, and they're not going to have any power, or they're going to tend to stick the club in the ground, and the, they're, they're going to make too much divot. Uh, so that's a mistake that I see a lot of students make. The other mistake is in club selection. They try to hit, they try to hit the ball too far with with the club. So they think that, well, I'm supposed to hit a a sand wedge 100 yards. Well, I don't hit a sand wedge 100 yards. I could if I <laughs> wanted to, but I don't try to. I try to hit my gap wedge 100 yards. So, uh, or in in some cases even a pitching wedge. So I always encourage students to take a little more club than they need. And I would think that the major, the biggest area where people come up on the green 
most people come up short of the green. Yeah, yeah, there's been mm-hmm. studies done, and, and I know um, that, that I, I see this a lot on the golf courses. Most people are playing for that career, you know, approach shot. Well, I once hit my, you know, pitching wedge 100 yards, but on, in reality, they probably only maybe average 85 or 90 yards. So they're playing mm-hmm. for that one perfect shot versus playing for kind of the norm, the average. And you got to well, kind of play for the average with your club selection. So I think that under, you know, not picking the right club is, is another mistake that I see over because they don't have the right club. And because they're trying to hit a full shot, they over swing. They make way too much backswing and way too much follow through uh, instead of taking a little more club and having more of a controlled swing where they're not, going back quite as far and not coming through quite as far, a little bit more of abbreviated follow-through. If you look at great wedge players, I mean, Tiger's probably the greatest wedge player I've ever seen. I put Trevino up there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Great wedge players. Uh, Azinger was a great <clears throat> wedge player. They, don't, they have more of an abbreviated follow-through. They don't have a big, long, high follow-through when they're hitting their wedges because they're trying to hit more of a control shot. So that's important. And then the most important thing is know your carry distance, not your total distance, your carry distance. Um, Carry distance is very critical because in American golf courses or target golf courses where you have to go over water and hazards uh, and uh, bunkers and all the things that we deal with on the golf course, and you cannot count the roll. You have to count how far your ball goes in the air. So the simulators now are great uh, for gathering carry distance. Um, I actually just purchased the FlightScope Mevo Plus, which I'm using now with my lessons. And I do that. Uh, that's, the, that's the number one thing I focus on with my students when we're working with our approach irons, when we're working with uh, short irons, is your carry distance, is how far the ball's carrying, because that's what you're going to be dealing with on the golf course, because you want your ball to hit, take one bounce, and stop. That's what you're um, ideally looking for. You don't want your ball to hit and roll 20 yards uh, when you're hitting into the green. Uh, so that's important that you know your carry distance as well. Yeah, and and you know I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of uh, you know I, uh, as you know, Cindy Miller, who is also part of the uh, Golf Tips family, um, and is my co-host on the Women of Golf on Tuesdays. You know we've talked about this many many times, and she sees in pro-ams all the time um, with even a lot of people that have played golf for a number of years. Um, never seem to grab the right club out of their bag. Um, you know, they're grabbing their wedge instead of maybe their nine iron, uh, or you know, maybe you know, instead of hitting that seven, they should be hitting a six iron. Whatever the case may be, they're always under clubbing. Um, and you know, obviously during a pro am, you're you're trying not to really, um, you know, it's supposed to be a fun event and having a good time, and a lot of times it's involving corporate sponsors and things like that. So you're trying not to really you know, be giving them the lesson out there in a pro-am. Um, but, you know, she's mentioned a number of times that she'll, with her playing partner, she'll say to them, hey, you know, Bob, why don't you, you know, put away that six iron. I think you better pull out the five iron instead. Because she's watched them hit, and she knows that they're just not carrying it uh, far enough to make it over that water hazard um, uh, or over that bunker uh, to get to the green. So, you know, knowing and struggling with, with approach shots is a common area for many, many golfers. And I think it's because it goes back to what we talked about earlier, is they're focusing so much on tee to green. Um, they're trying to belt it out there a mile off the tee, which is fine, but then when it comes to their approach shots, they're really not clubbing themselves correctly. 
and they're not making the right selections, and they end up off, off, more often than not, as you suggest, uh, short. Um, I, I want to, while we're speaking of clubs, um, do you think a lot of our amateur golfers, John, uh, need at this stage, I'm talking, of course, our, our club golfers or amateur <coughs> golfers, um, do they really need to be carrying long irons now? Uh, or are most of them, should they have moved on if they haven't, should they be moving on to maybe a hybrid or, or uh, you know, some other specialty clubs in their bags and get rid of some of these long irons? I totally agree with that. Um, I think that the, the, the average golfer, unless you're, unless you're in the low single-digit handicaps, the, you know, if you're a high handicapper, essentially the longest iron in your bag really ought to be about a seven iron. Uh, if you're a middle handicapper, then I would say maybe a six, possibly a five. But for the average golfer, anything longer than a five, a five iron is difficult for uh, – uh, uh, I have trouble sometimes hitting a five iron. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that hybrids are much easier to hit. Now, some people don't like hybrids. But then if you don't like a hybrid, go with the fairway woods. They make fairway – I've seen 11 woods. I've seen nine woods, seven mm-hmm. woods. Yep. I don't really care which way you go, whether you go with the hybrid or whether you go with the fairway wood, um, you, but you need to have those versus the longer clubs. The mistake that I see, it drives me crazy when I look in somebody's bag and they'll have a five wood and they'll have like a two hybrid. And I explain to them, you essentially have the same thing here. You need to pick one of these two and, and because you have two clubs that are essentially about the same loft. That doesn't make any sense right. to me. So we've got to make sure that we're spreading out the, the, the loft a little bit, and that's where everyone should – I would recommend to everyone to go to your PGA club professional and, and sit down with them and, and have them just take a minute to look at your bag and say, do, is my set correct? Do I have the right amount of clubs? And I, I, want to, I want my students who are the higher handicappers to have about three to four of the – you know, not counting the driver – Obviously, you're on the driver, but the three to four longer clubs that are going to get them advanced down the fairway, you know, a lot of, some fairway woods and a hybrid. And then I want them to have a lot of wedges. I don't want them to have a four iron. I really don't want them, most of them to have a five iron. If they're a better player, uh, I've, I've seen the six hybrids, and I've even seen a seven hybrid. So I, mm-hmm. they do make hybrids, you know, in the four, five, and six, and even seven. If you're a higher handicapper, I think that's much, much easier to hit uh, than trying to hit a five or six iron or a four iron. Yeah, and and I think it's good, too, for especially for newer players, uh, again, knowing that, that distance that they're hitting their clubs before they even make up a set. You know, if they're going to go out and buy a set of clubs, uh, it, it would be smart for them to go and visit their local professional and and hit a variety of different clubs and get an idea of their of the distance that they're hitting each club. You know, run through the bag, as it were, and find where those gaps are and fill them in with the appropriate club. You know, a lot of times people will buy a set off the rack and they'll say, well, I need, you know, I need a driver, I need a three wood and a five wood, and maybe I need, you know, uh, you know, five, six, seven irons, and I obviously need my short clubs, so I've got a few wedges in here. And a lot of times they either have duplicate clubs, as you point out, with the hybrid and, and a five wood, where they're at basically the same loft, they're doing the same thing. So they could get one of those out and substitute it with something else that maybe fills a gap somewhere somewhere else in the process. So um, I think it's important before you really put your sets together 
with your pro is that you really isolate and understand the distances um, that you're hitting each club so you can see what gaps uh, are needed to be filled and which ones are overlapping. So that way when you've got a set together, and actually, John, we've talked about this on the show before, uh, even though you're legally, uh, you know, according to the rules of the game, you're allowed to have 14 clubs in your bag, for some of our real high handicappers, they may not necessarily need 14 clubs. Um, maybe they can get away with 8 to 10, uh, depending on the circumstance, depending on what level of play they are. Uh, and then they can, as they advance, if they want to add a few more uh, because their distance is increasing or uh, maybe they want to add an extra wedge in, they don't necessarily, when they're first starting out, they don't necessarily have to get all 14 clubs. Uh, am I right? That is correct. I, I think that uh, I didn't start out with 14 clubs when I was a junior uh, golfer, and, and even when I got to be, I think, my first year in high school, I don't think I had 14, 14 clubs. I think that um, you need to have a drive. You need something to tee off with. You need uh, a putter, obviously, and you need wedges. Mm. Um, and, but, you know, you can have a 7-iron, a 9-iron, a, a, a pitching wedge, and um, maybe uh, a lob wedge and a putter, and maybe a driver in a fairway wood, and and or a driver in a hybrid. If you you know, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that really like the hybrids. So I I think that the, the best thing to do is to go to like a a demo day, and uh, you know where you can h- kind of hit everything and and try the hybrids uh, and and figure out do you like the hybrids better or do you like the fairway woods better or you, maybe you put a combination of the two in there. But um, yeah, you do not have to have. 14 clubs to play this game. There's no rule that says that. You just can't have over 14. Right. And and I think the other thing, too, is the type of club you have. And we, we've talked about the hybrid and, and the, the driver and so forth. Uh, but when it comes to irons, uh, there are so many varieties of different style and types of irons. You know, we still see a, a lot of high handicappers thinking that, you know, they've got to play more of a, a traditional blade uh, type uh, or forged club. And there's so many game improvement clubs out there that are going to help a lot of these people. Maybe you could share a little bit of uh, thought on that as well. Yes, I think that the, the cavity back clubs, uh, you want to have a cavity back club. And, and basically, if you don't know what that means, it's just look at the back of the club face. And, and if there's a, um, an area there where you can see like a, a cavity, basically, and the bottom, you want to have the bottom or the sole of the club needs to be uh, wide. It needs. You don't want it to be real thin. Uh, I I don't play irons like that. I have. I like to have a little bit of of meat down there at the bottom of the club. And what that does is, what the manufacturers have figured out, and they've done this over the years, is when you put the weight down at the bottom, it helps to it help, helps to get the ball up in the air. And that's for you know for a high handicapper or a, a beginner, that's what they want to do. They want to be able to get the ball up in the air. Um, and you know a lot of a lot of players. Um, don't realize when you have those cavity back clubs is they also make them more forgiving because they distribute the mm-hmm. weight around the face. So if you miss hit it and you don't hit it in the center of the club face, your ball, you don't get penalized. You, you, you may not hit it. If you're trying to hit it 110 yards uh, and you miss hit it, it may, instead of going 110, it might go 100, but at least you're somewhere on the green or somewhere, you know, in vicinity of the hole. Um, if you're using a, a, an old club from back in the 60s that's got a, a muscle back club that has no cavity back and you have a 110-yard shot and you miss hit it, it might go 70 yards or it may not even get off the ground uh, because they're just so 
they're they're so unforgiving. They re- reward only perfect swings, uh, and and the average mm-hmm. golfer is just in, you know, even the better players are not going to always have perfect swings. So that forgiveness is important. I would recommend graphite for the average golfer out there. Um, graphite is uh, a much more shock absorbent. Uh, it's much easier on your body. It's a lighter material. It allows you to swing the club faster, uh, especially if you're a newer player. Now, there are men, there are men and women out there, uh, especially some of the men that I teach that are newer players to the game who don't need graphite. Uh, but majority of times when I get a new player, I will start them out in graphite, uh, making sure that uh, another thing that you want to make sure is it's the beginning of the season. Make sure that you get your grips checked. I would make sure that you all, um, you know, you should really, if you're playing a lot of golf, you should change your grips about once a year um, if you're playing a lot. And if you're not playing a lot of golf, you can, you can get, uh, you know, two or three years out of, out of the grips. But, you know, in taking care of your clubs, simple things like not leaving them in your car, um, you know, taking them out of the car. I try to get them inside. I, leaving them in the garage is no better than leaving them in the car because the garage, especially in the summer months and the winter, it's either extremely hot or extremely cold, and that will ruin your grips uh, a lot faster. So if you want to get more life out of your clubs, take either, you know, either leave them in a, in a locker room or if you don't have, can't do that, and make sure and just get them inside. I think that's that's one thing that will really give you more life to your clubs. But those are simple things, you know, that that um, will the average golfer can can do to uh, enjoy the game more. And I would recommend that uh, you get a club fitting uh, if you're in the market mm-hmm. to get new clubs. Don't just all of a sudden buy them online uh, without getting a club fitting because that club fitting can really save you a lot of money in the long run. Uh, because I can't, I get so frustrated when I have a student come to me and they say, I just bought new clubs. And as soon as I look down at them, I know that they're <laughs> not right for the student. And that is the worst feeling right. in the world to tell somebody these clubs aren't right for you. You know, oh, well, I bought them on, I bought them on uh, eBay and, and uh, they were a great deal. Well, they're a great deal, but that does, they're not right for you. And so um, right. that's, that's always important. Get the advice of, of a, a, a PGA club professional, I would recommend or go to a facility where you can get on a launch monitor. Um, and a lot of facilities, like if you go to a lot of the discount places, they'll actually include that, you know, in their, you know, with their, with the club. So it's part of the process. So uh, those are some things that'll hopefully help the listeners out there to save some money and also enjoy the game more. Yeah, and and just to add one thing about you know. It, you mentioning about keeping the clubs indoors and that when you're not playing um, because of uh, climate conditions, uh, you also want to make sure you're including the golf balls as well because if you, especially if you're here in the sunny south uh, during the heat of the summer, if you're leaving uh, your golf balls in the trunk all the time, uh, that's going to affect the performance as well. Uh, or if you're up in the north and you've left them in you know, the trunk through the winter, uh, through the icy cold uh, when you come out to the next year, again, you're going to lose uh, some consistency with those as well. So you want to make sure if you've got some golf balls, uh, you know, in a shag bag or something, or you've got a couple of dozen kicking around, uh, keep them inside as well when you're not, uh, you know, out at the golf course using them and that. Take them outside. Um, and, and you're exactly right. <coughs> the other thing, <coughs> excuse me, uh, John, that I want to ask you, you know, especially for you as you're getting ready to, uh, you know, launch a new season of teaching and so forth, 
and you've got a lot of folks out there that are getting ready to maybe play their first round. Um, what advice would you give them? I mean, obviously you want them to maybe come and, and go for a tune-up and, and see what's, what's going on, but if they're going out to play their very first round of the season, what advice or what tips would you give them um, to do? How, how should they be warming up and, and uh, how long should they be warming up and, and really what should they be doing before they uh, tee up that first hole? You just, you just stole my thunder right there. They need to warm up. That's the <laughs> number one thing. I, I really, um, you know, it's funny. I had a lesson today with a gentleman who I gave one lesson to last year, and um, and it was early in the season. And so I had not seen him uh, in a, over a year, and I just thought maybe maybe he just didn't like the instruction or maybe he just decided golf wasn't for him or whatever. Well, he meet, he got hurt like right after that and had to have surgery. And um, oh. he just wasn't – his body wasn't uh, ready for golf. And golf is, a, is an athletic sport. I mean, you're – you know, if you're out – for example, if you're someone who likes to walk uh, and you've been sitting around all winter and all of a sudden you're going to go play nine holes, you know, make sure that you get warmed. Just, just go take a walk around the neighborhood or get on a treadmill do something, do some jumping, get your body warmed up. A lot of people in the, in the Northeast and the Midwest where I am right now are going to be playing. They can't wait to get out there. Well, guess what? It's still kind of cool out there. And if you're not mm-hmm. warmed up physically, when you start swinging that club and hitting that ball, that's where the tendonitis, that's where the lower back issues, the knee issues, all the aches and pains that, that we all feel when you, uh, you know, especially as we age, um, you, you're going to feel those if you're not warmed up. So I really am a big believer in that, that you've got to have your body in physical readiness to go out and play the, play a game because in a, you know, an 18-hole round of golf, you're out there for five hours, four and a half hours, whatever. That's a long time to be swinging the club if you're not used to that. Uh, so make sure that you get, get warmed up from that standpoint. The other thing is, is um, resist the temptation to just go to the driving range the day before you're going to play and just hit a bunch of balls. Uh, go work on your short game. Go work on your putting. Um, it's funny because I, I had not played a lot of golf. Uh, as, as People all think I play a lot of golf. I really don't. I'm around golf a lot, but I don't play a lot. Well, I had an opportunity, right. you know, when I was in Florida to play, I was amazed how well my driver was. I was amazed how well my full swing was, but my short game was way off. It was really rusty. I mean, just simple little pitches and chips, things that I took for granted more in the season, I struggled with. My putting was off. So, and it didn't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I need to take my own advice. I didn't spend enough time on the putting green before I went out there. I spent more time hitting balls because I thought, well, that's what I've got to do. I haven't been playing a lot of golf so I've got to get out on that driving range because if I do that, that's going to make me better. And guess what? It didn't. I mean, it was um, it was really a, it was a good learning experience for me that you know the putting and chipping and pitching are what's going to affect your score the most. So you know if you've been if you've laid off for two or three months and you're getting ready to start your season, get into that short game area. In fact, you may want to have your first lesson be in the short game because you know that's going to be off. It's, it's just human mm-hmm. nature. I don't care how good you are. If you've laid off for two or three months, you're not going to have the touch to, that you had when you were in the, in the middle of the golf season. Yeah, and that's a great point, because we see that so often as people transi- transition from 
you know, last season through the winter and then to the new season is, you know, for the most part, they'll go out there on the range and, you know, they can still hit a decent ball. Hey, yeah, I'm hitting the driver pretty good. And they're feeling really good about their game. And then they get over that first putt on the first green. And the next thing you know, it turns into a triple bogey because they've, you know, uh, had a three putt or more. Uh, or they get caught in that, uh, you know, in that rough. And they think, okay, this is not a big, you know, deal. And they haven't practiced a lot of these shots uh, for several months. And so they're pretty rusty because, as you know, you're not going to be in the fairway all the time. Sometimes you're going to be off in the rough. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a bunker uh, or having to carry a bunker. And so you need to, you know, have that, you get, get that feel back, if you will, get that touch back uh, in your short game. And that's not going to happen, you know, launching, uh, you know, drives or, or longer clubs out in the driving range. You have to get out and work on that short game. So that's a, a crucial point. And, <coughs> excuse me, lastly, um, John, I wanted to mention something, and maybe you can add some thoughts here as well, is it's what you fuel your body um, before you go out there. Um, a lot of times people get up, and they, especially nowadays, people are so busy doing other things. Some people skip breakfast or they have a very mediocre breakfast. I think it's important uh, if you're going to be out there uh, on the golf course for four or five hours, um, depending on where you're playing, that you need to fuel your body appropriately, and then you need to keep it fueled as you continue through your round and hydrate as well. So maybe you could touch a little bit more on that. Yes, I think that those two are two two great points, Ted, because um, I, I can remember so many times when I was a young player in high school. I mean, I would go I would play, I would go play nine holes, and then after the ninth hole, I'd go straight to the halfway house, and I was grabbing a candy bar and a Coke or something like that. And on that tenth hole, I was, high as a kite and by the 13th hole I was my just adrenaline everything was down I was my just totally lost all my energy and um, it's amazing um, how if you're not fueling your body with the right things uh, how it's going to affect you and I'm I'm just a big believer in um, you know drinking a lot of water uh, during the round staying hydrated I I'm not big into the sports drinks stuff and, and um, that's um, not to me there's a lot of sugar in those I believe that that yeah. can really start affecting you I don't mind a little bit uh, and if you're going to go the sports drinks route you need to dilute I was at a PGA event and I was w- watched one of the tour players and he he, he would take out a, a, one of the sports drinks and he would take out a water and he would pour it I noticed he just opened it up and started pouring half of it out and I was like, what in the world is he doing? And then he took water and poured the water in there to, to kind of dilute it. So he wanted to, get the, mm-hmm. he wanted to get the benefits, but he didn't want to get all the sugar. And so, um, right. you know, sugar is going to kill you in a round. So what you hydrate yourself with and what you fuel yourself with is more important than how much you do. If you're eating a hot dog every three holes, that's not fueling your body for a performance. <laughs> um, you know, so right. you, you need to – you know, whether it's nuts, whether it's um, fruit, whether it's uh, a protein bar, whatever it is, um, you need to have something that you're eating during the entire round that's going to keep your blood sugar more consistent. And I'm not a nutritionist or anything like that, but um, I've gone whole food plant-based, so I'm I'm having to uh, learn creative ways to eat during the round and, and keep myself fueled. And um, and it's been it's been a, a great experience for me because I don't have those ups and downs, those highs and lows that I used to have 
since changing my diet. And so I think if you're really, especially for those out there that want to play college golf and are, are really maybe thinking about the professional ranks, if you're one of those listeners out there that really is, uh, you know, wants to really do well in golf, you've got to, you've got to fuel your body so that you're, you're uh, staying very consistent. You don't have the highs and lows. And so um, there's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of people, nutritionists that can help you with that, but find something that works for you and, and stick with it and, and be consistent with it. I think the more consistent you are with your diet, uh, and the and the hydration, the more consistent you'll be on the golf course. Yeah, and um, just to add one more note um, about the drinks, you know, definitely I would stay, excuse me, stay away from the the sports drinks because they are uh, definitely loaded with a lot of sugars. There are some products on the market. Again, you want to consult with the you know a nutritionist or something, but um, to make sure you're getting uh, ones that are actually going to help you, but. Uh, there are some uh, good quality drinks out there that are going to help replenish your electrolytes and things like that that aren't hopped up with a bunch of sugar and are safe and, and that, but you definitely want to consult with a physician or somebody that specializes in that and don't just buy something off a website. Um, but, yeah, definitely, uh, or as the gentleman that you mentioned earlier, you know, if you are uh, prone to drinking a, a Gatorade or Powerade or something along that lines, then what I would suggest is doing what this gentleman did is and you know, pouring a, a good portion of it, maybe half it or even a third of it out, and then topping it up with some water to dilute a little bit so you don't have quite as much sugar. And you don't have to drink the whole thing. Uh, you know, many people carry a little cooler uh, with them now that keep it chilled. You know, just have a sip or two as you go along so you're not guzzling the whole thing down. And don't make your uh, hydration nothing but sports or energy drinks uh, through the whole round because that's not good for you either. Um, you definitely want to be drinking and stay hydrated with a lot of water, and you definitely want to be, um, you know, eating healthy. If you're going to take some snacks, some some uh, uh, nuts, you know, are, are good as well. Or, um, you know, I think Nicholas famously talked about in his uh, Golf My Way video, I think he made like a peanut butter uh, and banana sandwich or something that he carried. Obviously, you can't let that go into the heat too long. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of options that you can look. There's a lot of great products on on the market right now that you can take that are going to give you the good proteins and, and things like that that you need to help sustain that energy because uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, get that hot dog at the turn and and uh, that uh, Coke or what have you, as you mentioned, John, and, and end up ultimately, um, uh, you know, crashing and burning a few holes uh, on the back nine. Um, all right, John, we're, we got a, about a minute or so left, but I uh, again, I know you're going to be coming on uh, next month to talk a little bit more detail, but I want to give you a moment or two to talk about... Um, uh, your new website and and so forth. So the floor is yours. Well, thanks, Ted, for having me on the show and for the listeners out there. I hope you all have a great season. Um, I have a new website. I'm really excited to announce in January. I, I launched. Uh, it's called DeckerGolf.com, uh, D-E-C-K-E-R Golf.com. And uh, and that, please go on there. I've got all kind of videos, but also it's got information about my book, about speaking engagements. If you're interested in that. Uh, and you can reach out to me if you if you want. I'm also available on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And I, am, I have a new audio book that's out. My book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, was launched in 2016. This year, we just launched the audio version of that book, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's available on Amazon Audible and iTunes as well. And uh, like, like Ted mentioned, I'm also doing public speaking, so... If you're uh, interested in a public speaker for a church or a golf event or anything, maybe a combination of a golf event from a church 
uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to come to your town and, and uh, do some speaking or and clinics. We can do anything along those lines as well. But uh, and, and the last thing is uh, um, I write for Golf Tips Magazine, and um, my feature, Fairways to Heaven, is in there in the instructional articles. And, Ted, I really appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to be a part of the magazine, and I'm really excited about the direction it's going. And, and uh, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to grow, and I'm real proud to be part of it. Well, as always, uh, John, I appreciate you joining uh, not only here on Coach's Corner, but I appreciate all you do for the magazine and, and what you do for the golf industry as well. You're a great professional and and uh, been doing it for a long time. And I know, as as I do, I love uh, being part of this industry. It's a, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of exciting things and changes happening all the time. So it's uh, kind of interesting to, to uh, you know, kind of be in the loop, if you will, uh, for a lot of things like that. But um, So go to DeckerGolf.com. Uh, you can reach out to John there. You can find a lot of great information and he's going to be uh, coming back uh, next month, uh, I think around the middle to towards the end of the month, uh, uh, as my special guest on the second half of the show. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that and and uh, some of his future plans as well. So, um, but John, have a great uh, a great weekend, and uh, I will talk to you real soon. And I'll see you next time here on the Coach's Corner panel. Thank you, Ted. All right, appreciate it. All right, we're going to be joined uh, by my special guest here in just a moment, but before we do that, we're going to hear a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, uh, again, go to GolfTipsMag.com. Uh, a lot of great information on the website. And if you're somebody that uh, has never subscribed before, you're in luck if you uh, subscribe to our print version and uh, enter promo code GOLFTIPS21. Uh, you'll get uh, roughly about 30% off the annual subscription price, um, and you'll get it for $9.99 uh, for the season. And it's a great uh, magazine to give you a lot of great uh, golf tips and and a lot of interesting articles to read, like John's, as he mentioned. Um, Fairways to Heaven is in there as well. So you can check that out. Go to golftipsmag.com and uh, subscribe to the print version. Enter Golf Tips 21 and get over 30% off the regular annual subscription price. All right, I'm very excited to be joined by my special guests this evening. Uh, both of them are from NeuroPeak Pros, uh, VP of Performance uh, Programs, uh, Nick uh, Bullis and Director of Golf Performance, Andy Matthews, are joining me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them, and I'm going to bring them on to the show. Uh, Nick leads uh, the staff in charge of all peak performance training. Uh, Nick has extensive experience working with teams and athletes uh, in the NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL. He and his team also work with numerous professional golfers on the PGA, LPGA, and, of course, Corn Ferry Tours. Uh, Nick has also worked with several Olympic athletes and professional tennis players looking to maximize their brain performance. Uh, 
And, of course, Andy oversees all golf strategy and business development on the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, and LPGA for Nero Peak Pro. Uh, has 10 years of experience as a professional golfer, including one worldwide win. Uh, well, a Neural Peak uh, Pro client brings a unique skill uh, set to Neural Peak Pro, uh, which allows him to help elite golfers implement their peak performance training on and off the golf course. So please welcome uh, Nick uh, Bullheis and uh, Andy Matthews to the show. Good evening, guys, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Ted. It's great to be with you. I appreciate it, guys. So I did a. Uh, I know there was more information to tell about both of you, but I thought we only have an hour on the show, so I didn't want to go through all of your uh, accomplishments uh, right away. We can always plug a few more in. But so let me just. Uh, we've got a little bit of background on both of you and sort of how you uh, got to where you are. Um, but give us an idea for those that obviously are tuning in for the first time, maybe, uh, or are not familiar with uh, NeuroPeak. Uh, give us an idea of and and. Nick, if you want to be the one to start off, and then uh, Andy, if you want to jump in to add more thoughts to it. But what is NeuroPeak Pro, first off, and what does the company do? Yeah, Ted. Uh, so NeuroPeak Pro, we're a precision breathing, heart rate variability, and brain performance company. So we work with athletes, like you heard in, in our bios, um, but also you know business executives, students, and just regular folks, too, to um, – perform under pressure at their best and to manage stress and to perform whatever your field of, of line of work is to, to perform optimally. And, and let me ask you, like, you've got a, a pretty good laundry list of some, some very interesting players of, just off the PGA Tour alone, uh, you know, uh, players like Bryson DeChambeau and Jordan Spieth and also uh, all-pro quarterback Kirk Cousins as well are among uh, an expansive list of professionals and amateur and collegiate uh, that have worked with you guys. Um, what has been some of the feedback, uh, let's stick with the golf obviously, but uh, from players like that that have been involved with you guys, what has been some of their feedback on working with, uh, with NeuroPeak? I always love Andy to answer this question because you know, he comes from the, the unique perspective of having worked with us as a client when he was playing professionally and we, we worked together. I was his coach back in the day. And so a lot of the things we're doing with Jordan and Bryson and all those were really formed on the practice range uh, when he was working with us. So I'll, I'll kind of let Andy dive into a little bit of the specifics on that. Sure. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, Ted, thanks. So, I mean, I think one of the, one of the first things that, that players recognize or, or, or feel when they start working with NeuroPeak Pro and they recognize that what we don't do is sports psychology, but what we do do is help give them a tool and really a training method to help them understand and optimize their physiology so that they can play their best golf. And now as golfers, you know, we've all stood on the first tee and have had those, those first tee jitters or stood over a putt um, to take a few bucks off our buddies, let alone the millions of dollars that are, that our PGA Tour players and, and LPGA Tour players are playing for each week. But it's very much the bridge between the success that we often see in practice when things seemingly don't matter versus right. when they actually do matter. And it's, you know, we, we all have those, um, those feelings or, or knowledge of, hey, you know, we need to get out of our own way. We need to trust our golf swing. We need to have fun. And I think a lot of players, regardless of skill level, understand that aspect. 
but they don't mm-hmm. necessarily know how to do it. And with the training that, that we're able to bring to the table as part of, um, part of their teams, if you will, is, is be that bridge between, you know, practice and playing when it matters most. Yeah, and before we get into some of the specifics of the programming and, and so forth, I want to dial back a little bit. And, and again, uh, you know, both of you, uh, by all means, chime in. Um, but, you know, we, we, we mentioned, Nick, you mentioned about, you know, uh, breathing and obviously heart rate and so forth and that. And obviously we have to breathe and obviously our heart has to be pumping for us to be alive. Um, but why is that important? How does that really affect our game? Um, you know, whether... You know, obviously everybody's a little bit nervous uh, stepping up to the tee in that. Um, is, is that a good nervous okay, uh, or is there a way of regulating and controlling that? And again, I know we're going to get into more specifics a little bit later on, but why is that important to have that controlled um, in a better way than maybe what typically a lot of the amateur golfers do? And why is it particularly important for pro golfers? Sure. Ted, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. This is, this is Andy. And, and really, so much of it around breathing and precision breathing in particular is that, is that our breath can serve as a metronome for all of the other systems in our body without dipping into the science too much. But there's a part mm-hmm. of our body called the autonomic nervous system that takes in cues from our environment and really regulates how we react. And when we're under stress, a lot of those um, physiological functions, you know, breathing, our heart rate, um, sweaty palms, cold hands, those types of things, that's all part of our natural stress response and our body's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And we can actually perpetuate that if we're breathing poorly, which many of us do you know, breathing almost three times faster than what our heart and our nervous system is really designed to do to really unlock that zone performance state. And when we have an opportunity to slow the respiration rate down and breathe into the diaphragm kind of low and and slow, we can actually send an equal and opposite signal, if you will, to our body that, hey, even though they're may seem like there's a ton on the line here, we can actually breathe in a way that sends that signal that we're in a spot to settle in and perform. And so on the golf course in particular, yeah, we're going to encounter stressful situations throughout, you know, all 18 holes or if you're playing a 72-hole tournament, there's plenty of opportunities to kind of get in stressful situations. But it's what you do ahead of those situations and ultimately, if the heat really gets turned up and you're coming down the stretch with a chance to win a golf tournament, be able to slow the system down and be able to really control that instead of just having it be that runaway train that many of us feel when we're in those situations, be able to find that brake pedal. And what we see with our experience on tour and in the other professional sports that we work in um, and also just the science behind what we do the breathing can serve as that break and, and help bring that body back into the performance state where it can actually do what you've trained it to do through the hours of preparation and practice. Right. And, and you know, really what you're referring to, we hear this not just in golf, but we hear this with a lot of athletes, is they talk about getting into, uh, getting into the zone, if you will. 
and that's where everything is controlled. That's where they're able to relax and, and they're confident and they're comfortable. And really what you guys have developed, and we're going to get into it now a little bit, um, is developed a training uh, device uh, called, called the Intel Belt, uh, and it obviously works together with an app. I'm going to let you guys uh, tell a little bit more and give some more specifics about it. Uh, it is really through the training that's involved uh, using this uh, particular product and device uh, is going to help them get more zone-like as opposed to, as you mentioned, uh, Andy, st stressed out and sweaty palms and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Nick, why don't you start off a little bit if you want to tell us a little bit about what is the N uh, Intel Belt uh, device and uh, how does it work with, with the app. And then, uh, Andy, um, you know, by all means, uh, come in and, and talk a little bit more about it. Sounds great, Ted. Yeah, so, uh, again, we've been working with athletes for – I've been with the company now for 15 years, and the breathing component has just really resonated across all sports. And so golfers in particular, um, when they've been doing their precision breathing training with us for the last several years, they had to carry around a, basically a, a, a little briefcase that had their computer, their breathing band, mm -hmm. their heart rate sensor, all these cords and wires, so really cumbersome. Um, to carry from tournament to tournament. Um, it worked really well, though, and they, they felt mm -hmm. better. They played better. Their scores went down when they were practicing their breathing on a regular basis. Um, but it was very expensive equipment, and the user experience wasn't great. So our COVID project, you know, we all had these different COVID projects at home and at work over the last couple of years. Right. Kind of joke <laughs> that ours was to develop the Intel belt. Um, we wanted to take all the things that our pros were doing but put it into a scalable product that everybody could take advantage of. Um, our athletes have been asking for years, hey, can you make this any easier to travel with? I already travel with enough stuff. Um, so, so basically what we've done is we've compacted that whole briefcase down into a chest strap that connects via Bluetooth to our app. So everybody's already carrying around their phone. Now all you need to do is just throw, toss this chest strap into your backpack and take it wherever you go. And so what it does is it monitors all of your heart rate metrics, which people are very familiar with if you've ever worked out with other devices that track your heart rate. But what our device does is it has an accelerometer and a gyroscope in it. So as it's sitting at the base of your sternum, it's measuring the inhale and exhale pattern of your diaphragm, and it's displayed right in our app. So you're able to see, hey, what is the structure? What is the consistency, the depth of my breath? And then at the same time, how is my heart responding to that? So if you were breathing really fast, you'd see this, your breathing line moving up and down quickly, but you'd also see your heart going out of control. So now, though, we're able to teach the individual how to slow that respiration pattern down and then to show them immediately how their heart responds. The heart's very responsive. And so they're able to get all this feedback right on their phone. Uh, we also set out to gamify it. We work with a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. A lot of these college golf teams are really fun to work with, <laughs> uh, and they're all competitive. So it's still, it's still breathing. It can get a, a, a little uh, tiresome after a while, but we developed the Intel metric, and it basically combines your most important respiratory number with your most important cardiovascular number, and combines it into this one metric, your Intel metric. It's on a scale of 0 to 100. The closer to 100 you get, the better your autonomic nervous system is functioning. So these athletes, they're competing with each other. You know, you know just mm -hmm. throw up their phone. Hey, I just got a 92 on my session. Oh, hey, right. I beat you. I got a 94. 
and it's just driving that usage. And the more time they spend training, the higher their scores will go and the better their system will function. Um, What's kind of cool is we use our athletes, our pros, as our beta testers. Um, They've been using our products for years, the old one. We figured, hey, who better to test this thing out during development than our pros? And um, they gave great feedback throughout the development process. And what's funny is um, to a person, they all turned in their old equipment basically immediately. After about one or two sessions on the Intel belt, they're like, this is exactly what we wanted. We don't need all this briefcase stuff anymore. We love the Intel belt. So that gave us a lot of confidence as we take it out to the market to know, hey, this is is too or proven. Um, our, Our athletes love it. We're ready to go with it. And Andy, let me ask you, you know, as somebody who who is a, a golf professional, um, you know, we always, when we think of golf, we're thinking about the mechanics, we're thinking about how to improve distance and things like that. But this is an area that obviously at the high level that players also have to be conscious of as well. It's not just all about ball striking and putting and things like that. Those are obviously important components to being a better player. But it's also how your body reacts to certain situations and how you handle stress and so forth. So this is something that's giving them valuable information um, and providing data uh, in real time that they're able to use and then working with their coaches and and, uh, and various other uh, um, professionals that are surrounding them, uh, their mind coach and so forth, it can help give them a better idea of how they're handling themselves out in the golf course. Maybe you could touch a little bit about that, the, the connection between the devices and then also the with the feedback, what it's, what it's really telling them and how they're able to apply yeah, and work it, through the training. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, and Nick started to touch on it there too, is the Intel belt's a, a trainer and not a tracker. And mm-hmm. take that philosophy to the golf course and – you know, we're not playing every shot throughout a round of golf with our track man flight scope or foresight launch monitor sitting behind every golf shot, right? There's a time right. and a place to really train those and where those metrics really, really have meaning. But the reason that we do that is so we can tighten that connection between what we're feeling and what we're actually seeing um, in terms of ball flight and golf swing and, and the types of And we applied that same philosophy, that same learning progress to the Intel belt and how we coach precision breathing. I tell our professionals all the time, we're not out there to win a breathing tournament. We're out there to win a golf tournament. So let's put the work Mm -hmm. in when we can, when we have the ability to see these metrics and make adjustments and learn. But then when we're out on the golf course, as you were suggesting, Ted, is let's get out there and trust our golf swing. And if we trained it the right way, it's going to do what we designed it to do under pressure. And when we pair that up with training on the Intel belt, we start to see that bridge, if you will, between the practice and, and the results um, on the golf course. It's really easy for a player to go out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and play a really smooth round of golf and feel comfortable and hit great golf shots. But when Thursday morning rolls around and they call the name on the first tee or if it's your Thursday night men's or ladies league, 
you know, how does, how does the body feel different? And frankly, why does the body feel different? To be able to have that insight into why your body's doing what it's doing, but then having the skill to be able to turn that volume down when the hamster wheel kind of in your brain starts, starts running, you do feel those sweaty palms and you realize that you're breathing faster or your heart rate's up. You know, all of those are very natural responses to what our body's doing under stress. But, right. And stress on the golf course, frankly, is inevitable, but how we respond to it doesn't have to be. And the way that NeuroPeak Pro approaches this is let's dial in your breathing so that you can actually influence how you're feeling when it matters. Yeah, and there's a lot of things um, that are connected to your breathing. It's not just a matter of filling air in your lungs and, and, and drawing a breath, um, but the oxygen in your blood as well. If you're, if you're, you know, I mean, and I know, Andy, you've seen this as, as well. I'm sure you, Nick, but, um, you know, when you see, and I'm not talking the professional, but amateurs where they're holding their breath through the golf swing, they're not actually even breathing. Yeah. And, you know, that obviously is not going to help. I mean, I know it's only, you know, one point whatever seconds, uh, in the golf swing, but they're holding their breath, so they're not really getting, uh, they're not really releasing the energy they need. So, as a training device, again, this is not a tracking device. This is a training device. So, you've explained a little bit about how it actually works, but how, what have been some of the? I guess talk a little bit about the process. So, once they begin, once a, a player begins using the Neural uh, Peak Pro and the Intel Belt, um, how typically quickly will they start to see? I mean, obviously, they're going to get the data right away. But how is it training them? What is it doing to them? Uh, and how quickly are they starting to see uh, changes in results and, and regulating uh, their breathing and obviously their heart rates? Yeah, Ted, that's, that's one of the cool things is with the ability to measure heart rate metrics in real time, as, as Nick was alluding to, really in the first session with coaching, being able to slow that respiration rate down, use the diaphragm properly, start to get some good structure and some good consistency in there. We see the heart respond, you know, almost right away. And, you know, with anything, it takes repetition to be able to start to make that feel more comfortable. It's like if you go and see your PGA professional and they ask you to make a grip change, even though that might be the right thing to do, it's going to be really uncomfortable and it's going to take some work to do it. But that's why we have a number of coaching videos in the NeuroPeak Pro app. It's available for iOS and, and Android uh, in, both, uh, in both app stores. But those instructional videos are in there to help walk clients and users through the exact same process that mm -hmm. a Bryson, that a Jordan, a Danny Willett, a Stefan Yeager have, have gone through. Ryan Brent, he won two weeks ago in, in Puerto Rico. Um, he's been a longtime client of ours as well. And, like, all of these players have gone through the same foundational process to retrain the way that they breathe. And then, mm -hmm. Ted, there's an interesting kind of three or four tournament sweet spot where that training really starts to, to settle in and we see – the results start to change on the scoreboard. And Nick and I laugh about it, um, but it's, it's really fun to see that when 
someone start their precision breathing training, obviously now they can do it a heck of a lot easier with the Intel belt. When they get into that routine of, you know, training 60 minutes a week, um, that three or four week sweet spot starts to really show up not only in the golf, on the golf course, but, but off the golf course as well. And circling back to something Ryan Brem said when, um, he started working with us was like, you know what, don't do this for you. Um, or excuse me, don't do this for your golf, do this for you. Just because he, he mm-hmm. felt so, right. so much better about his ability to manage himself on and off the golf course. And, and also guys too, I think the other thing which people overlook it, you know, when you talk about breathing and you talk about heart rate and that is also brain function. Um, if you're not breathing correctly and you're not and your heart rate rate's constantly elevated or it's um, you know getting lower because it's not functioning right, and I mean I'm not suggesting this is a medical device or anything, but when you when you're not training your your heart and your your breathing correctly, it also affects brain function. So you get a little you know you get out in the golf course, you got a little brain fog all of a sudden because you're not breathing properly and your heart rate. Um, elevating a lot because of stress and so forth. So it obviously affects that area as well, correct? Yeah, I love to talk about the brain. And uh, people don't realize that you can actually impact brain function, your mental function, just by breathing different. There's great studies that have come out where they use MRI technology before and after precision breathing training. And after about eight weeks of training, what they're actually finding is that there's improvements within your prefrontal cortex in your limbic system. These are the parts of the brain that handle your emotional response, um, feelings, um, organization, uh, planning. So all the things that you need to have under control on the course in competition, but also in a, in a practice round. We, we talk to a lot of our pros, a lot of our up-and-coming pros who are trying to make it, and they're out there on the range, on the course for eight hours a day. And if that prefrontal cortex is not functioning properly, they're not mm-hmm. getting in eight hours of good work. You know, they're maybe getting in four to six hours. So I'm like, man, if I, can, if I can spend 10 to 15 minutes a day working on my precision breathing, that's actually gaining me maybe a couple of hours each day of focus and follow through to get the most out of my training. Um, this is a big thing, too, when we talk to our college programs. You know, we're all guys here. The prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. is, is the last part of the brain to develop in males, not to our mid-20s. Right. That's why young <laughs> right. guys make dumb decisions all the time. Right. So when we're talking with a coach, we're like, hey, coach, you know, all of your guys on your team have this issue. That part of the brain is not fully developed. But, hey, here's some research that shows that if, if we work on this and we do this protocol, you're actually going to strengthen that part of the brain. Well, mm-hmm. all of your competitors have the same problem. So here's something that can be a competitive advantage for your team that you guys can work on and, uh, and now have a leg up on the competition. So they're kind of fun uh, educational opportunities to talk with the players and the teams about how just simply breathing better can have a pretty profound impact on your ability to function mentally. Yeah, and Andy, that's a, a great point that, that uh, Nick makes because, um, you know, particularly for, for collegiate teams and things like that, that 
um, you know, there's only so much you can do with your actual golf game. Um, you know, you can only hit the ball straight. If there's no other option besides straight, um, or straighter, rather. Um, and, you know, you can certainly get a little bit of an advantage over other teams. But, uh, again, it boils down to really the mental game uh, is going to be the difference, how you hold up against your competitive players and so forth. If you're all hitting the ball pretty solid, um, you know, you might have a few lucky bounces on the golf course, or maybe your putts might sink a little more often than the next guys. But ultimately, it comes down to strategy and mental capacity uh, out in the golf game. That's why players like Nicholas and mm-hmm. and um, Tiger Woods and that. So, if you're able to now um, utilize your breathing and and uh, heart rate and so forth, and increase your your brain function in a better capacity, that's a big advantage, as Nick pointed out, right? It, it is, and, and Fred, when you look at the progression of the game, right, you know, we could all mm-hmm. kind of draw on the line in the sand when technology and shaft and heads and balls started to really develop, and then Tiger comes on the scene and, and people realize that, you know what, maybe we need to get in the gym and launch mm-hmm. monitors come on. We've now been able to dial in all of that equipment and, and the like, and we've had you know, several of our of our tour players come back to us and say, you know what, the Intel Belt, it's a game changer, and it's the next, you know, it, it's the next nth degree of game that we need to find as as athletes and and really just as as individuals to to be able to to be at our at our best. And you know, I think one of the things that a lot of our players talk about too, with with regards to some of the other um, fitness trackers out there, if, if you will, is there's a lot of great data that, that comes out of mm-hmm. those trackers, but it's the so what, right? Like what do I, what right. do, I do with that? If I wake up and I see my, my recovery or my readiness percentage is 71%, but I've got to tee it up in the first round of a, of a tournament, I need to play at 100% of, of myself. How do I bridge that? 29% that's, that's left over. And, and that's where a lot of our players are, um, are really starting to settle into as, you know, this is a great way to, to reset the system, support recovery, and also prime the system when they've got to get ready for, for whatever it is. And it's, you know, it's a simple technology, if you will, breathing. And the great thing is it goes with us wherever we go, you know, if we can train ourselves to breathe the way that we know it supports our system best, and then regardless if we're wearing the Intel belt or not, after having done the training and built up that, that readiness or that resilience, we can take that onto the golf course. We can take it into a boardroom or a classroom or an operating room, wherever it might be. And I think to get back to where well, you asked there, Ted. Yeah, it's the it's the next thing, and it can support mental performance in a way that's not out with the out with the bad, in with the good. Um, get out of my own way. Trust my golf swing. Things that we all, like I said, we all know to do, but often have a really hard time doing it. And, and what about guys for for the everyday golfer? I mean, we, we're talking a lot about the athletes and. Um, not just in golf, but other areas as well. What about the everyday golfer? Are they going to be able to realize benefits uh, 
um, using the Intel belt as well. That maybe you know they're not they're training as hard as a, as a Bryson or, or a, you know or Spieth are. Um, you know they're just wanting to go out there. They're playing every weekend or maybe a couple times a week, and they want to. Uh, improve their game and you know there's only so much as we've talked about that you can do as far as the, the other technologies concerned as equipment and so forth uh, is this a product that can help the everyday golfer as well yeah it, it yeah, actually is Ted and in, in what um, Nick was saying too when we lay out a training protocol and it's really laid out really well in the app is it only takes about 60 minutes a week and it's you know you spread that out over five or six days you know, less than less than 10 minutes a, a day, you can start to build up this resiliency that, you know, can help in, you know, an endless number of, of skill sets. But to the everyday golfer, one of the first things I always point out to all of our golfers that, that work with us is when you stand on the first tee and you bend over and stick a tee in the ground and put that ball on that tee, that movement that is completely natural to us as golfers. We don't even think about it. But when you start to break it down physically of we're standing on one leg, we throw another leg out as a counterbalance, we're probably leaning on our driver, our head goes below our heart, and then we reverse yep. all of that. When you look at that physiologically, that's a huge stressor on our, on our nervous system. And if you're not mm -hmm. getting ahead of that, which you can do with your breathing, or after that, by taking a few intentional breaths before you start your pre-shot routine or even part of your pre-shot routine hitting that golf shot, you're not going to be in as a good a spot as you could be otherwise. So, yeah, we all stand on the first tee, and we feel those, we feel those nerves. But we've got an opportunity to be able to, to get ahead of that, like um, – like a lot of our players do, and are just really intentional. And the great thing is there's a, there's a content series in, in the app that just it's titled Taking It to the Course. So it's, yeah, what, how do I take this precision breathing practice, which, you know, for the most part, the science doesn't change behind that, but it's then what do you do if you're a golfer, if you're a tennis player, if you're a quarterback, if you're a kicker, you know, the science behind what we do doesn't change, but how we start to apply this really, really, really does. And I think one of the, the cool things, too, and kind of dipping back into Ryan Brem's quote, is this helps off the golf course just as much, if not more so, than, than on. You know, when, mm -hmm. when you start to learn how to manage yourself through stressful, stressful situations using – your breath, whether you're having a difficult conversation um, with a coworker or you're sitting in traffic or, heck, you're, you're watching your kids play sport and you get excited or nervous for them, you know, this is, this is a life skill as much as it is a golf skill. And I think while golf may be the hook for, for a lot of the listeners here, right. you know, it, there's so many positive spillover effects into, you know, your nine to five, especially if you're not a professional golfer. Right, and and so typically for for somebody that is uh, playing golf, when are they when are they? I mean, obviously they can use it any time, but is this something that they would typically incorporate into a practice session? So if they're working with a coach or uh, uh, you know teaching professional, is this something? 
you know, uh, when they're out mm-hmm. in the lesson tee? Is this something that they're in court? Give us an idea of, of some examples of typically um, what some of the, obviously the professionals are doing it, um, I'm sure a lot of other times besides that, but typically what is the process? What are they going to do and when are they typically going to use it? Yeah, you know, I think one of the um, the best examples is, you know, when we kind of work with a player, um, breaking it down, like Wednesday night, obviously this week's a little different with uh, with the match play starting on Wednesday. So we, we were in touch with all of our players and just encouraging them to do a five-minute session with the Intel belt on Tuesday night just to kind of, you know, set the tone, hit that reset button the night before a tournament. Um, you know, some individuals can relate, getting a little bit excited the night before a, a big event the next day and may have a hard time falling asleep. Um, breathing can right. really kind of help um, settle that in and set things up for the next day. And then on the next day, my non-negotiable, Ted, for our, for our players is 10 minutes of breathing um, before their round. Now, I used to have to say 10 minutes before you leave for the golf course because they had a really cumbersome right. set of equipment that didn't travel with them. And, and now we've got our players doing it, you know, before or after they, they work with their physio or, you know, they pull, pull the car into the parking lot and, and carve out those five or ten minutes right there. That's the, that's the opportunity to put some money in the bank, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, when you're on the golf course, or even before that in your warm-up, so many players you see get in that rake and hit mode, right, where it's just rake and hit, rake and hit. And often there's a lot of rhythm found in that, but it's, right. um, it's a lot of movement that the body has to accommodate for. So being a little bit more intentional about the golf shots that you do hit during your warm-up, taking a breath or two in between each ball, and then as you move yourself to the first tee, give yourself a little bit of extra time up there to, you know, it gets a bit redundant, but take some breaths um, because there might be a little bit of a trek up to that, that first tee. And, and really, whenever you have a chance to wait playing a round of golf, and we all know there's plenty of time to wait during a round of golf, start to develop that, that anchor or that trigger, if you will, that when you have an opportunity to wait, use it as an opportunity to breathe. Um, you're not talking while other players are hitting, and you can't breathe and talk at the same time. So while other players are hitting is a perfect time to breathe and kind of reinforce that work that you did before the round. So let me ask you this, guys, for the uh, – and again, we'll go back to the tour players for a minute. I'm assuming this is obviously something that they're not wearing during a tournament um, but obviously are able to utilize before they, uh, you know, uh, step out on the first tee. Um, is the training that they're getting using uh, the Intel belt, is this something that um, they can recall during their rounds when they're out there? If, let's say if there's a delay in the in – the, uh, uh, on a hole or something like that where maybe it's taking a little longer. Obviously, anxiety and stress levels can start to, to increase um, simply because they're frustrated from, you know, having to wait around an extra five minutes instead of continuing to play. <laughs> is this – is well, I mean, it, it's – listen, we know what happens. So is this something totally. that through the training and so forth that they're able to recall and then step into that zone again, that breathing, if you will, to help them re, sort of re-regulate it, I guess is the way I'm looking at it. 
Yeah, and, and that, that's a great term, kind of re-regulate, Ted, is um, training with the intel belt, you know, really helps to make that connection between feel and real. When you see mm-hmm. how your physical respiration looks, um, and, and just as importantly, when you do breathe at that slow, consistent pace, not only how your heart is responding to your breath, but how you're physically feeling, like those are pretty powerful cues that help kind of anchor where a player can, can get back to. So one, during the training, they, they feel what it's like to be in that calm, focused, relaxed state. So one, it's proving that they can get there. And then to your point, when they are out on the golf course, when there may be some adversity or, you know, they're a little upset mm-hmm. because they're waiting for the group ahead of them, you you can get back to that because you've seen that when you breathe with certain structure and certain pace, your heart's going to follow along and then train itself to its to your breath. It will do that wherever you are. And so being able to get back to that and use that as a little bit of a secret weapon, if you will, that um, you know that when you breathe this way, this is how your body's going to respond and um, it it really supports the the overall performance of of an individual and how they perform under pressure. Yeah, and and, and again, there's a lot of adversities that you're going to be faced with. Um, certainly, even just coming up in a few weeks, um, you know, the guys are going to be playing in the Masters. Um, that's a mm-hmm. big stress inducer for a lot of players. So obviously, you know, something like this is is going to help them get into that that good frame of mind, if you will. So let's talk about how much does it cost um, and where is the product available. Um, give us uh, some of the details there. Yeah, so uh, the cool thing is this starts with a free download. Ted. Uh, we we mm-hmm. specifically want to get, get people access to some of the content. So if you go to, like Andy mentioned earlier, you go to the uh, App Store, Google Play Store, you can download the, the NeuroPeak Pro app. And we have some of the coaching content available to everybody right out of the chute, and then a breathing pacer that goes along with it. So you watch the video, understand some of the things that Andy and I have been talking about tonight, and then you can start to practice it. Uh, then mm-hmm. the thinking is is that folks are like, okay, wow, this, this is really cool. I can feel this change, but just like I have my scorecard and I'm out there golfing, I want to I have that intel belt that can actually show right. me how well I'm practicing these things. Um, so then the, the Intel belt runs three ninety nine, and mm-hmm. uh, what that does, what that purchase then allows us for even more content to be opened up for them as well. So not only now that it, they get to get the exact coaching that Jordan and Bryson and all those get, but they get all of the applicable content for golf along with it. And um, we figure, hey, a lot of folks are going out there every year spending three ninety nine, four ninety nine on a new driver that they just bought a new one last year or the year before. The right. technology hasn't changed right. a whole lot there. So uh-huh. why don't we yeah. uh, delay the, the next driver till next year and actually work down your physiology this year? Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's actually a much better investment of your of your money. Now, is this a is this a one time cost? Like, is a three ninety nine? That's it. Uh, that gets you uh, the the end belt, or is it, is there a subscription 
as well that follows, uh, or is it a one-time? Yeah, it's a, it's a one-time, three ninety-nine, and then we do have a subscription model um, where you, for five dollars a month or fifty bucks for the year, you get to be able to track all of your historical data and trends. Okay. Because uh, a lot of people want to be able to track their trends over time, like, hey, sure. what were they doing a year ago or two years ago? Um, and then we're mm-hmm. we're also launching a, a community aspect where um, each month, based upon how many points you've accumulated, so basically how many sessions you've run and, and how well you're doing in the program, as being a part of that community each month, you're, you're able to win prizes for it. Um, oh, wow. Could be a new putter. Could be a, a gift card to a, to a retailer to go buy more merchandise. But we know the more people are training, the better they're going to be physiologically functioning. Um, and most people, if you're like me, you like to win free stuff. So yeah. by being a part of the, the, the NeuroPeak Pro community, um, you, can, you can win stuff by being a, an active user that way. So very low ongoing um, fees if you want to be a part of that community. You don't have to pay that monthly subscription. If you just want to use your belt and just get your training in, mm-hmm. there's, there's no ongoing fees. But we do have some opportunities to, to be a part of some really cool stuff going forward. Yeah, and see, and I, I like that because they have the option. Um, you know, a lot of other tracking products that, and I, again, I'm not going to get into names either, um, that are out there, it requires a subscription model to go with it. So then people feel, well, you know what, I'd like to try it. It sounds kind of interesting. Uh, I don't mind making the, you know, the upfront purchase, but then I don't want to get locked into it. So it, it really gives them an option of saying, hey, let me, uh, and I like the fact that they can download the app first, which is free, let them kind of get a taste of, of what you're talking about here, get a, a chance to see some of the videos and some of the information up front before they go and dive in and, and make that, uh, that $3.99 purchase. Um, so it gives them a little sort of a dip in their toes in the water, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. example of, of what it's all about. And then they say, hey, yeah, you know, I can really see this is going to help me. Now I'm going to make the purchase. Um, they've done that. Now they incorporate that into their uh, lifestyle, if you will, and then they have another step if they choose to take that as well and become part of the NeuroPeak uh, community, as you said, and, and have some mm-hmm. option of you know uh, doing that. And I like that. I think that's a great way to to unravel that because, as I said, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're getting uh, put into something up front and not really having the option. So I like the fact that you give uh, uh, the consumers a choice to uh, to take part in that or not. So that's a great way. Guys, where can they get more information on it? Um, obviously, I know you have a website. Let's lead them to the website and um, get more information. And um, what's coming down the pike? What do we got new that's coming down the road? Yeah, so the, the easiest way, we, we just talked about the app, um, iOS and Android. Just search NeuroPeak Pro. It's N-E-U-R-O-P-E-A-K-P-R-O, two words. The website is neuropeakpro.com. We're also on Instagram and the other social media platforms. You know, that's going to be the, the best way mm-hmm. to, um, to find us. If you head to the website, you'll, you'll see some of the, the testimonials that um, Bryson, Jordan, and a number of our other athletes um, have shared about their work with us. And, you know, I think one thing – um, you know, kind of speaking for, for Nick here and, and the whole team at NeuroPeak Pro, we're really passionate about helping people. And while we've talked the mm-hmm. last 
45 minutes about about athletics and, and how we can do it in the realm of golf. But, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're really passionate about helping people, you know, be better every day about whatever it is that they do. And, again, if golf's the hook yeah. to, to introduce a precision breathing practice to their, to their daily lives, that's, um, that's a win for us. And um, we, love, we love sharing the info and the science behind what we do, and we're always happy to answer questions. Yeah, and I think that's great too. Is uh, again because not everybody plays golf, but it's a product that uh, can help in other areas of people's uh, life. So, um, you know, if you got a golfer in the family and they happen to have one, you know, that's uh, uh, that's great. But uh, there's no reason that non-golfers uh, can't uh, um, take advantage of this as well. So, um, well, guys, it's very very interesting. I know we we've talked before um, a few months ago before we booked tonight, but. Uh, this shed a little bit more light for me, and, and uh, I'm certainly going to uh, take a much closer look myself. Um, but uh, thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a very uh, eye-opening and interesting discussion, and I appreciate you guys coming on and, and joining me. And uh, I wish you guys both uh, much continued success and best of luck with uh, NeuroPeak Pro. Likewise, Ted. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, we really appreciate, All right, appreciate your time it. And, uh, and your listeners' time. All right, no problem. Thanks, guys, and have a great evening. All right, that was uh, Nick uh, Bolais, uh, the VP of Performance and the Director of Golf Performance, Andy Matthews at NeuroPeak Pros. You can go to uh, neuropeakpro.com, get more information there, and you can go to the uh, uh, Apple Store or Google Play, and you can download the app as well. It's NeuroPeak Pro. Uh, Just look for their app there and download that. It's free and take a look at it and uh, watch some of the videos and, and uh, test out some of the techniques as well. And then you can also go uh, and uh, also purchase online uh, the N-Tech uh, belt as well to, uh, to be able to uh, uh, test out the uh, uh, product. I think it's, it sounds like a great product. And um, I think these guys are going to do a continued success. And obviously the professional uh, guys on tour are are using it with success, and uh, there's some information on the website to give you a little more detail there as well. All right, on that note, I want to thank John Decker for joining me uh, a little bit earlier on Coach's Corner panel, and the guys from NeuroPeak Pros for joining me uh, this uh, evening as my very special guest. Don't forget to check me out uh, on social media under Ted Odorico, or you can also visit Golf Talk Live uh, or Women of Golf uh, social pages on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. And uh, don't forget to tune in to uh, my Tuesday morning show where my good friend, co-host, LPJ professional Cindy Miller and I uh, on the Women of Golf where we feature many of the young uh, up-and-coming stars uh, on the Epson Tour and other uh, great professionals helping to elevate women's golf. That's every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. I hope you'll join me, and I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. 
This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.